Hello again, friends, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Daniel Day, your host, and I am joined again by my good friend, Pastor Greg Johnson. How are you, Brother Greg? I'm doing great. It's great to be with you again. Well, it's my honor. Listen, just like last time, would you open us up with a quick word of prayer? Sure. Father, we're just thankful for this opportunity to join together to discuss kingdom issues, Lord, leadership issues. And uh, Lord, we just submit ourselves to your guidance and to your will. We pray, God, you'll, you'll lead us in our conversation and bless those that are listening, God. We pray, God, that your anointing will be uh, just ministering to hearts and minds. And you'll help each of us to see and hear those things, Lord, that you know are needed for this time for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, if you're just joining us, we are with Pastor Greg Johnson. For the last 30 years, he has been the lead pastor for Mission Church. He's also the executive presbyter for, presbyter for the Eastern Region of the Assemblies of God, New York Ministry. He is the founder of Global Leadership Training and the author of multiple books. And today I've invited Pastor Greg to um, speak to us on the important subject of healthy boundaries uh, and using wisdom in our relationships, purity, uh, and how to make it in ministry and in leadership for the long haul by uh, carefully uh, thinking through all of our relationships. And so, Brother Greg, I just want to turn you loose and speak to us, brother, on this important subject. Yeah, it is really, it's really important. And I, I, I kind of see this issue of, of purity um, really expressed in two different realms. There's the purity of, of, of the heart, and then there's um, relational purity, um, where we are demonstrating certain ethical guidelines with, um, you know, the opposite sex around us. And unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of leaders um, fall prey to sexual temptation in the relational realm and in the personal private realm. And um, I think, you know, where the scriptures talks about guarding our hearts because out of our heart come the issues of life is, is really key there. So, um, yeah, so I think as far as the relational part, it really springs out of where our heart is at. So that's probably the most important uh, uh, aspect to discuss is just the strategies for, uh, for purity and for guarding our hearts, keeping our hearts pure. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, I think out of Matthew chapter 5, uh, Jesus really takes things to the next level with the, you have heard it said, statements. And uh, for example, Matthew chapter 5 uh, and 27 and 28 uh, read this way. Uh, Jesus said, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent uh, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so Jesus bypasses simply the physical nature of our temptations and physically acting upon our temptations and actually speaks to the heart. As you already referenced, Proverbs chapter four and verse 23, above all else, I find that amazing. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So I would like for you to just reflect upon heart issues and perhaps even dive into some practical um, uh, principles for guarding our hearts in these ways. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I, I really I really think that you're touching on a real key issue here, just bringing up what Jesus said about adultery really being something that is an issue of the heart. And, um, 
you know, I think really every sin that we struggle with that we might commit is a, is a fruit of a root, right? It's the fruit of a tree that has a, a deep system of roots. And if we're going to deal with the sin that we struggle with, we have to deal with some of those, those, those root issues. And that's where guarding the heart comes in. And I know we hear that phrase a lot, you know, guarding the heart. Uh, but sometimes it, it gets a little, um, a little nebulous. What does that mean? To guard the heart and how do how do we do that what does it look like and i think there's some real practical uh steps that we can take to make sure that our hearts are are guarded in a sense right how do we guard our heart and first and foremost i think maintaining our our, our spiritual health is number one you know we go to the gym to maintain our physical health and we understand the value and need for that you know and if we're not strong physically then we are we're weak and we're, we're vulnerable, right? So in the same way, we need to build up our, our spiritual man to withstand the forces that, that we're going to face. Um, you probably heard the analogy of the two, the two animals that reside within each of us. You know, we have the one animal that is like the, the, the flesh and the other animal is that is like the spirit. And both of those animals are, are fighting over each one for, for domination and control. And uh, the question is, well, which one's going to win? And the answer is the one that you feed, right? So we really have to be intentional and deliberate about feeding our spiritual man so that our spiritual man can be strong. And uh, so, you know, we're talking about our spiritual devotions, our, our, our time in the word, our time in prayer, our time in personal worship, our attendance to church, just those basics, you know, like having a healthy diet for our physical man and exercise for our physical man. If we neglect those things, there's no mystery as to why we may struggle in the areas of sexual purity and even, you know, falling easily into temptation. Right. Right. So a couple of follow-up questions uh, is, you know, you talked about ways to feed your spirit and you, you mentioned Bible study, personal worship, church attendance, those kinds of things, the spiritual disciplines. How have you kept that fresh over the years? How have you um, broken up the monotony, so to speak? Discipline is good, but how do you personally keep it fresh? That's one question. The second question is, is how do we feed the flesh? What are the ways that we need to be aware of that feed our flesh so that we can stop doing those things. If you wouldn't mind addressing yeah. those. So for me personally, I mean, the spiritual disciplines are, they're just cake for me. And um, I'm a morning person. Um, I haven't always been a morning person, but I realized the value of the morning. And so some years ago, I had to become intentional about really developing my morning time. And so that meant making sure that I get to, to bed early enough so that my mornings are productive, being intentional, and uh, and just getting up early. So you get to the point where your body's just conditioned, right? You don't even need an alarm. You just you're just up, you know. So I'm usually up, you know, before or with the sun, and try to get right into some prayer time, and um, you know, some time in the Word, and uh, I, you know, I don't necessarily have to have a, a long two-hour prayer time. I mean, I just might spend, you know, 30 minutes or so in personal prayer. And then in the Word, I just have a systematic way of reading the scriptures, 
Um, and then I have usually a book or two that I'm working through, you know, just to help augment my spiritual growth. Um, I love, I love Tozer. So I read a lot of, a lot of A.W. Tozer or something like that. Um, but maintaining that regimen, that routine for me has been, has been key. And I really would encourage, you know, all of us, especially spiritual leaders to really be intentional about that because out of that is going to really flow a healthy, a healthy ministry, a healthy pulpit ministry, especially. Right. What, what have you done over the years to keep it fresh though? So for example, if you're, if you're doing the same thing every day for six months, the next six months, you might need to uh, change the place or change the routine up a little bit, change the music you're listening to. Is there anything that you've done over the years that kind of keeps it fresh? Yeah, I think I think everybody's different, right? And I think that's a great point for me. Um, I I haven't really felt the need to kind of change up the, okay. the, the place, you know. Um, I have a place. Um, I have a spot in my home where I have a I have a chair, um, which is kind of it's become conditioned. That's my place of prayer, my my place of devotion. So it's kind of like this, you know, conditioning where I know when I sit in that chair, it's 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 serious spiritual time with the Lord. And, um, and I return to that chair on a regular basis. So I often find sometimes that when I go to a different spot, like I have a, I have a deck, I might go out back on the deck and, and, you know, put on the, the fire. And um, I, I do that from time to time, but I find it to kind of be for me anyway, a little more disruptive. I like routine, you know, that's just me. I, I like the routine. I like the consistency and that, that actually, it helps me to stay conditioned. That's, that that's really great. Well, Let's flip the script, talk about the other side of the coin, um, the flesh. What do we need to be guarding? How is it that our flesh gets fed? Yeah. Speak to that. Right. So I think, first of all, we've got to be honest with ourselves about the battle that's, that's real, the struggles that we have, the, the things that are tempting us. We have to be real with ourselves. And, um, you know, lust thrives in secrecy and and in denial right so when we're we're just we keep it all in the dark and I, when i say secrecy i mean even not being true and being honest with ourselves and we're just kind of in this place of denial where we're not really recognizing and identifying those things that um feed the flesh and tend to you know distract us and, and pull us away so we've got to be really honest and recognize those vulnerable areas and, um, and call out those, those enemies that we have, and we've got to cut them off. You know, Jesus talked about cutting off those members of our body, cut off your arm. If your arm offends you, pluck out your eye. If your eye offends you, causes you to sin, right? So, I mean, he's talking metaphorically there. We don't want to, we're not talking about hacking off our, you know, our hand or something like that. But, but yet we recognize there are going to be some things that we have to cut off from our lives because they are a source of distraction and temptation for us. So I think we've got to be, we've got to be real about the different uh, media that we're exposing ourselves to. So I'm talking about television, talking about cable. Sometimes, you know, we might need to take some practical steps 
to um, either reduce the ca cable package. You know, you can have different cable packages and just kind of go to maybe the basic and try to just have the, or you might have to cut off cable entirely if, if you're really, if one is really, really struggling in an area and can't get control. Um, the internet, same thing. We've got to really be sure that we are limiting um, certain apps, social media apps that have just become sources of temptation or we may need to cut off the internet entirely. And I know that that sounds like drastic, especially in this day and age, internet, cable, such a part of our lives. But when Jesus said, cut off your arm or pluck out your eye, um, those are some pretty drastic measures. And of course, they didn't have internet and cable back then. So I think Jesus was really making the point that, you know, we've got to be ruthless in our battle for, for purity. So there may be some things that we've really got to extract from our lives to really get to really get victory and, and you know, eliminate those things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even on basic cable, um, we're seeing commercials where um, there there were things in, in commercials today that a few years ago would have never been on regular television, would have been considered rated R to see a man and a man kiss or a woman and a woman kiss in a commercial advertising something just on basic sure. cable. They're, the, they're pushing and pushing and pushing different agendas upon our children, upon ourselves, through our eye gate, things we see, and through our ear gate, things we listen to. Well, um, now we, we have streaming now. Exactly. Right? So we, we did away with um, our, our cable a while ago. We just have the internet. Um, we don't have cable TV anymore. But then you, you get onto some of these streaming services and it's like, man, this is worse. This is worse than cable, right? Yes. So yeah. we have to be really, I think, honest and intentional and recognize that there are some real traps that are there. And um, there are going to be some drastic steps that are going to probably need to be taken at some point for us to, to overcome. And wouldn't you, I'd love for you to reflect on this a bit, because uh, wouldn't you say the closer you get to the Lord and the more closely you're walking in step with the spirit, as the scripture says, um, you know, certain songs will come on the radio uh, or maybe even you'll go through your playlist and you'll notice songs that, that you used to listen to when you weren't as close with God and they offend your spirit. They, sure. they they're talking about various behaviors that, that are just not a part of a believer's life and you do away with them. Wouldn't you say that the closer you walk with God and the closer you walk in step with the Holy spirit, um, just some things need to go. Yeah. Yeah. And thank God for, you know, the convicting power of the Holy spirit. And I think that's what you're talking about, right? So as we draw closer to the Lord, we recognize that, certain things that interfere with our communion with the Lord are going to be, they're going to need to fall off. Right. And that's where the conviction of the Holy spirit comes in and conviction is it's uncomfortable when the Lord starts to deal with us about things, but conviction is um, conviction is, is to our spirit. What pain is to our body, right? Pain is a defense mechanism 
where if, if we if we get an injury like we stub our toe or something, immediately we feel pain and our body is calling us to the attention of something that's dangerous, needs to be addressed. If we don't fix this, it can get infected, it can become gangrenous, whatever. So pain is, is a good thing. Conviction is just like that. It's the Holy Spirit calling our attention to something spiritually that if we don't deal with this thing, you know, it's an open wound and it can become in, in infected and it can get worse and worse and worse and it can destroy us spiritually. So, yeah, I agree. The closer, the more we, the, the deeper we get in the word, the more time we spend in the Lord and develop ourselves spiritually, the more aware we're going to become of those things that interfere with our communion with the yeah. Lord. I'd like to uh, speak a little bit about strategy for a minute, and um, I'd like to begin by just reading this quick verse out of first John chapter two and verse 16. It says for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the father, but from the world. And, um, you know, there's, there's a double-edged sword here. Number one, the enemy is really good at what he does. He's good at that, but he's not a creator of new things. I think he's an exploiter. He exploits upon our weaknesses. Uh, he takes advantage of our fatigue. He takes advantage of moments when we're alone or isolated. He exploits us. Um, and so I think if we're, if we're made aware of his strategies, we might be able to come up with some strategies of our own, because I think while the devil is very good at what he does, he is incredibly predictable. He is incredibly predictable. I can see his attack a mile away. He's going to come at me through a fence. Um, he's going to come at me uh, through, through somebody's bad attitude. He's going to exploit an opportunity to bring these three things up. So I would like for you to just talk to us about some practical how-to strategies to see the devil coming a mile away um, so that we can put some guardrails up, some some strategies to protect our hearts, to guard our hearts from those things. Yeah, I like the saying, a guardrail at the top of the mountain is better than a hospital at the bottom, right? <laughs> so, so the guardrails and the strategies, yeah. So just for, you know, from my, from my uh, perspective and some things that, that I use in my life, um, number one is that, that spiritual health and that time with the Lord. And in that time of prayer, you mentioned from first John, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. So when I'm in prayer, one of the things that I will I will pray to the Lord is uh, is confession and asking for forgiveness. And I, I, I every time I pray every day when I pray, I say, Lord, forgive me for the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of the life. Even though I may not have acted out on something. I confess to the Lord, there are streams of rebellion in me. There are pockets of resistance in me that I may not have acted upon, but the potential is there. So I, my, my repentance is proactive. It's like a strategic repentance. It's like I'm, I'm already repenting for what I know is in my nature before the battle even comes. Wow. And I think strategically there, it's, it's like from a warfare standpoint, um, soldiers prepare themselves for battle before they get to the fight. And if they wait till they get to the fight to start preparing, they've already lost. 
right? So the moment they jump out of the helicopter or, or you know, they, they get out of the vehicle, they're already armored up. They've already got their weapons. They've got, they've, they've got their, uh, their magazines loaded, ready to go, right? So that's how I want to be. I want to be prepared for battle before I get to the fight so that my mind is tuned and I recognize because, you know, Everywhere we go, there are going to be things that are going to tempt us, that are going to draw our attention, that are going to distract us, right? And so I start from that moment in prayer with the Lord to get armored up and to get ready and to, and to get dressed, right? And here's the thing. If you're, if you're dressed properly, you can pretty much navigate any environment. I mean, you, doctors, virologists that work, you know, with, with deadly viruses, if they have the right hazmat suit, they can survive any environment. Firefighters that go into, you know, 400 degree situations, if they have the right suit, they can face any environment. And spiritually speaking, Ephesians 6, if we're armored up properly, we can face what the devil is going to throw at us. But that's the key. We can't wait until the temptation is in our face to start putting the armor on strategically, we've got to recognize, man, the battle's coming and I've got to be ready. And that's why for me, the mornings are, you know, are, are so, are so important. And then when I'm moving throughout the day, I mean, to, 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 to maintain control of, of the thought life is just an ongoing, it's an ongoing discipline. And, you know, our thoughts, our hearts are deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked, right? And, you know, our flesh is constantly susceptible to the things of this world. And um, I think it was Martin Luther who said, you, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair, right? So there are some practical things, you know, that, that we need to do. And um, so I think... Uh, Staying focused with the Lord throughout the day, especially in those environments. Did you ever hear about the second look? Avoid the second look. You know, the second yeah. look is the devil's hook. Uh -huh. So that's something that I, I like to say is that, you know, when you're walking around, you're going through life and, you know, your life is littered with temptation and distractions. And eventually we're going to be exposed to things that are going to provoke the flesh, Right. And um, things that will attract us, you know, members of the opposite sex. And sometimes our eye will notice something, right? What we've got to learn to do is kind of bounce our eyes, where our eye sees something and then we can immediately bounce away. You know what I'm talking about, Dan? Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, so absolutely. It's, it's that discipline of bouncing the eyes, right? And, you know, the problem is not with the first look. The problem is with the second look. Because it's after we take that second look where now the flesh starts to become activated and the thoughts become, you know, unclean and we start to imagine things and, and we start to lose control, right? So getting control of the thought life and avoiding the second look are a couple of things, I think, practically that we can manage. Absolutely. Is, are there any um, personal rules? that you have that have um, really stood the test of time over the course of your many years of ministry that has kind of kept you above reproach and accusation. For example, I know um, our former vice president took a lot of flack when he said uh, that he never meets with a woman alone. 
and that was right before the hashtag me too movement really took um you know went viral and all of these accusations start coming from various political leaders and and then all of a sudden our former vice president was um um you know justified for having that rule in place because no one could accuse him of anything because he always had accountability uh, around him so I'm just wondering if you had similar rules or if there's anything like if you're on a trip, because you travel a lot. Yeah. So when you travel, what are some things that you're putting in place to protect you from accusation as you travel? Some things you do and do not do, you know, just can you get into the nuts and bolts of that? Yeah, I'd be glad to. So um, something that I had the unfortunate experience of in my ministry career, um, I served I served under three pastors um, before I became the lead pastor. Two of those three pastors fell into um, into immorality with women in the church and left their wives, ended up divorcing their wives and then and then leaving the ministry, right? So two out of the three pastors that I served under fell into, into adultery, right? And one of the things that I began to discover as I, as I looked back over my time with them and watching some of their standards is a truth from Proverbs 5 verse it's right around 522 where it says that his own iniquities entrap the wicked man that he is caught in the cords of his own sin and in the greatness of his own folly he'll go astray so in other words we we right not just those guys, but us, myself included, we fall into sin because of the traps that we set for ourselves. So I'm not so much concerned about the snares that the devil has set. I'm more concerned about the snares that we're setting for ourselves because the standards that we have or don't have are setting us up for temptation um, or for criticism or for, for even failure, right? So, yeah, I have certain safeguards that I've tried to put in place and maintain over the years that have been helpful. And uh, number one is to avoid being alone with the opposite sex. And that's what you're referring to, you know, with, uh, with our vice president, right? Avoid being alone with the opposite sex. And I'm talking about driving in the car, I'm talking about having private meetings. I'm talking about luncheons. I'm talking about counseling sessions. Avoid being alone, right? And this is the most dangerous because it facilitates all of the other snares and traps that we can fall into, right? And it may seem innocent to, to a person to be alone with the opposite sex. They may not have any ill intentions at all. But what it does is it sends the wrong signal. It says to that person that you're alone with, I'm interested in being alone with you. I like being alone with you. I'm comfortable being alone with you, right? And it could cause others to question your integrity when they perceive that, to wonder, does, does that pastor like being alone with, you know, with the opposite sex? So again, this means I, I avoid uh, being in my office, being in the car, Traveling, I do a lot of traveling. I don't travel, you know, like go on trips with alone with the opposite sex, right? And if I have to meet with um, a woman 
I do not meet in a place where we're going to be alone. And I don't go to lunch with or breakfast with or have coffee with a woman, you know, alone. Even though you're kind of in a restaurant, you're still kind of alone, right? At that at that table in that and that in that setting, right? And if it's not practical, like if we're meeting at the office and that person has a very private issue that they need to discuss, then um, I'll meet with them in a room, but I'll always leave the door open and make sure that other people are in the building. And, it, and Dan, it may seem like a lot of hoops to jump through, but I'll tell you, it is so worth it. It really is. Right. And yeah. I would love to just uh, build on that just a moment because my wife and I work together a lot in ministry. We're, we're side by side. We have been ever since we were married. And even before that, even we were working together and my wife has an office right across the hall from me. Uh, she's an ordained assemblies of God minister. She graduated from the same Bible school as I did. And she's in many ways, far more intuitive and far more wise. She yes. actually has, she's actually a better counselor than I am. And so, especially if I'm uh, about to meet with a female um, uh, in, in my office, I actually schedule it so that my wife can be in here with me yeah, because great. she's, she's going to actually probably take over the conversation. Um, and after the fact, the, the lady who had originally scheduled a meeting with me is far more happy to continue that conversation with my wife. And now not everybody works with their spouse and, and not everybody has a spouse in ministry or called to ministry, but wouldn't you say it would be a good idea if possible to have a lady present in those meetings as well, or at least a Abs second person. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's, you know, so in those kinds of settings where you're counseling with someone, I, I think it is essential. I mean, number one door open. Number two, if you can have a female present, absolutely. If you can have your wife involved, absolutely. I agree. My wife and I, we do the, we do the same thing. So I counseling is not something that I, I do a lot of, I'm not the trained therapist. So I do a lot of referrals out. I give counsel to people, you know? Um, but when I do meet with people, it's, it's usually with my wife or I'll have another female pastor who's on staff in the room with me, or I just don't do it. I'll just tell someone you need to meet with pastor Linda or pastor Sandy or pastor Kathy, or you can meet with my wife and just right from the onset. Don't even, don't even schedule. Now, let me say this. We have on our staff, I have three female pastors. And I do coaching uh, with our pastors on an individual basis every month. So I have monthly coaching sessions and, and they're private, right? So we meet in my office, but the door is open, door is wide open. And they just, they understand that, right? And so and there are other people in the building, there's other traffic going on around, right? And, um, and so I've, I've even, we've set that culture we've kind of created that culture in our, in our church, in our office, where the same with our female pastors, they do not meet alone with men. There's all the doors always open if they need to do that. Other people in the building. In fact, we had a situation where um, I was uh, in my office. It was late in the afternoon. Um, a sister came by unexpectedly, a member of the church, and she came by needed to, to speak with me. And uh, I knew this woman. Um, and I, you know, I, I wasn't worried about her. I didn't think she was trouble or anything, 
but I, so I was in my office, had the door open, meeting with her. Um, one of our other pastors had uh, an office just next to mine. It was the end of the day. Everyone was leaving. He was getting ready to leave, got his coat, got his briefcase, was walking out, noticed that I was in my office with this sister. And instead of leaving the building, he turned around, went back into his office, sat down. His door was open. My door was open. And he waited until we were done talking and she left the building before he left. So, yeah. I mean, that's getting the culture, like, right? Absolutely. And you bring up, I mean, we could talk about this a lot, but I just think it's, a, it would be good for you to talk about how, if you're in the battle with a, a staff or a group of people, a team that you're also helping each other just like that. I mean, I think that's amazing that your, your comrade in arms was watching your back. Like he, yeah. he didn't have to do that but he saw you, he perceived that you were in need of somebody just getting your back for a little bit. And um, I think that too is an element that you have built in place, a strategic element you've built in place to protect you and that you've built a culture of accountability. You've built a culture where it's not just accountability though, but I get the sense that your, 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 your staff member just cared about you and was looking out for you. Like was just like, I've got your back pastor and I see what's happening and I'm going to inconvenience myself. I perceive you've been inconvenienced. So I'm going to, I'm going to get in this with you. Isn't that amazing? It's, it's so important. It's a, that's really a healthy team culture. Yeah. Right. Where we're just aware and we're mindful and we're, we're not just focused on our own, our own stuff and our own agenda, but, but we're aware we can see what's going on with others and we take the time to notice and to get involved. I remember I was in an airport once, I was traveling out of Cuba and um, we had a team and I was in the airport and we had a number of sisters on the team um, and I'm in the airport and this woman I never met before, never saw before, a young woman, attractive woman came up and approached me and started to talk and started to, you know, to engage me. And I don't know who she was, where she came from, right? But before I could even blink an eye, two of the older women who were on my team came up and stood between, two women from my team came up and stood between me and this other woman and just pretty much, I mean, just got in her, I don't mean in a negative way, got in her space and just took over the conversation and I was able to turn around and walk away. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's creating that culture where we talk about these things with our team members and our, you know, our other pastors. And, our, and we say, look, we need to be aware that these issues are real and we've got to guard one another when these things come up. It happens at church, you know, before and after church services, you're 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 uh, mingling with people in the lobby or at the cafe or whatever. And you just you're, we're watching each other's backs and we're. We're, you know, we're armor bearers for one another. That's so good. Okay. We're going to wind down our talk. Uh, but before we do, I would love for you to take 60 seconds and kind of a, a fire round, um, quick answer kind of a thing. Sure. Um, when I read about people who travel for a living and you do a lot of traveling, um, when you're, when you're working, uh, whether it be for global leadership training or in your role as a presbyter, you do a lot of traveling. And so, can you just real quick give us 60 seconds or two minutes worth of practical stuff as you travel, as an example, um, you know, Billy Graham, 
uh, is famous for calling ahead to the hotel and telling them to remove the television from his room. You know, that was a protection he had. He, you know, he, he, his travel uh, system was to have two or three people with him at all times. And he would not let the television, he didn't want to be accused of this. And, you know, he had money parameters, accountability around the money and different things. So as you're traveling, this is how we'll conclude. Uh, what are some bullet point things that you always have in place to keep yourself safe? Yeah. Try not to be alone. If you can have your wife with you, that is huge. I mean, if you have your wife with you, number one, if you can't do that, then it really is important to have someone with you, especially in the hotels. The hotels are really dangerous places because there are there are predators who will look for men who are alone. All right. And I mean, they look for women, too, but I'm talking about men who are traveling alone. They look for men and they will approach men in the lobby, start conversations, try to find out what's your room number. I had this happen to a guy on our team and he wasn't alone. We were up and I saw him talking to a woman, a strange woman. And I came over and I got involved in the conversation. Turns out she was trying to find out what his room number was. Right. And I mean, this is this this happens. Then before you know it, you have somebody knocking on your door. So you have to be really careful. So do not engage. Do not talk to women, people of the opposite sex. You do not know. Sometimes you're going to seem rude. Sometimes you're going to seem aloof. But when I'm in hotels, I do not talk to women I don't know. I try to have someone with me in the hotel. So when I travel, I'm usually in like third world countries. So TV is not really a, a big thing. You know, if we have TV in the room, it hardly works, right? But I'll try to have my coordinator stay with me in the hotel. And my coordinator is going to be, you know, national, going to be aware, going to be alert, is going to help me be, you know, sensitive to things that I need to see. So in the hotels, the hotels are really, really dangerous places. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you bringing that out. And, And people who travel need to be aware to think ahead strategically because if you're traveling for the Lord, you are literally entering the enemy's territory. He knows you're coming. He knows, and he's already got a plan in place when you arrive. And if you can strategically think through some of these things, you can avert the attack and be very successful in your ministry. And, um, and as you mentioned, you know, hotels are, are places where the enemy, you know, that's where you're resting. You're usually there after an event. You're tired. You're fatigued. You're you're vulnerable. Um, if you're alone, you're you're lonely. Um, there's there's all kinds of situations where the enemy would like to exploit and capitalize upon. So think ahead. And as you said, I think it's a great tool to have a good missionary, like maybe one of our Assemblies of God missionaries could be a coordinator for you or somebody on their team that's aware of the. Uh, they're street smart. You know, they, they know what's going on. They know where you need to be and when you need to be there. Don't try to travel alone or handle things alone. It's a recipe for disaster. Um, brother, this conversation has been incredibly meaningful and I just want you to know how much I appreciate it very much. Yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate the opportunity. Can I add one more quick point? Yeah, please do. Um, it's it's the vulnerability of pastors, especially uh, to unhealthy emotional connections. Mm. Most pastors do not fall into uh, adultery with strangers. Most pastors, when they fall into adultery, it's with 
um, people that they know, people they have relationships with in the church, and usually because they've allowed an unhealthy emotional bond to develop. And a lot of pastors, um, you know, they struggle with that need to be needed, you know, kind of that, I, you know, I find my value in how people need me. And then we encounter a lot of people in our church that have an emotional neediness as well. And those two things are a recipe for disaster. So we have to be really careful not to create an emotional uh, dependency, an unhealthy bond with people that can become emotional adultery, which is a really important topic, maybe not for now, but down the road to talk about, you know, emotional adultery and, and how vulnerable we are as leaders to that dynamic. Yeah. Well, that will be part three of our discussion and I'll look forward to it. Um, thank you for your courage and your, um, your willingness to speak about such issues. Um, we really need to be far more open uh, than we have been in the past as ministers about our own humanity, our own flesh, our own weaknesses. Uh, it, and it's in that atmosphere of humility, really, that we become strong. Um, it's pride that says these things don't exist in me. Um, I could never do that. Those, those, those prideful stances that really lead to a fall. And so thank you, Pastor Greg, for just being willing to bring us all to the table around this subject so that we can be aware that, uh, you know, but by the grace of God, um, we're capable of more than we realize. And, uh, and so we really do need to just go to God in prayer right now. And I would ask you, pray for us. Uh, that we would stay true, that we would uh, be faithful to our families, our spouses, that we would be faithful to the call of God and stay strong, and that we would take every day as a gift and armor up and be ready for the battle. Amen. Amen. Pray for us, please. So, Father, we thank you for this uh, opportunity to discuss these, these issues. I thank you, Lord, for Pastor Dan and for his his willingness to host this, this conversation. Lord, I pray that you'll help us all, men and women in leadership, to recognize our own vulnerabilities. None of us has arrived to a place where we're beyond temptation or distraction. Help us, Lord, to recognize the enemies around us and to be real. And Lord, for the safeguards that need to be put in place, give us wisdom, Lord. Give us a sensitivity. Give us the ability to think strategically and with discernment about our own environments and the own, our own tendencies that we have in our own flesh. Lord, we, we rely on your grace in our weakness. We rely on your wisdom in our foolishness. Help us, Lord, not to be careless in our standards, and help us, Lord, not to fall to the snares that we're allowing in our own lives. We're trusting you, God, for your guidance in this area. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Uh, friends, we have been with uh, Pastor Greg Johnson. He is the lead pastor for Mission Church, the executive presbyter for the Eastern Region of the Assemblies of God New York Ministry Network. He's the founder of Global Leadership Training and the author of multiple books. Among uh, the things that you've written about and, and spoken about extensively uh, is are these issues we've been discussing about today. And I'm really appreciative of your time today, Pastor Greg. If somebody wanted to get a hold of you or, or look at some of your resources, uh, catch, you know, sure. maybe uh, download some of your books or buy some of your books, how, what's the best website they could uh, get that stuff at? Yeah, you can just go to gregtjohnson.com. 
that's my website. There's a there's a, a store there. You can check out the books. You can, in fact, there's one book, The Character of Leadership. You can download uh, there. Uh, it's it's available to you, and uh, it talks about some of these issues that we've addressed today. Very good. Well, brother, thanks again for your time. This has been tremendous. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity.